Let's take off. Bongani and Nala on Radio 2000. Black politics and white power in South Africa. Uh, she's a writer. She's an independent political analyst and an author, of course. Uh, on the line, we've got Kim Heller. Good morning, Kim. Welcome to the takeoff. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation and good morning to you and your listeners. Um, you know, you know. Besides, obviously, the book, um, you know, that you've written. Um, I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I think this conversation started on our side was obviously with what happened um, at the war school Yan Yun. Um, and I think as South Africans, we've been here. Well, we are still here when it comes to racism and when it comes to race. Um, and I think one of the most frustrating conversations between black um, and white people is generally around white privilege. Um, I want to start with you. So you're a white South African that grew up in apartheid. Um, speak to us about your privilege. Maybe explain if you understand if you understand your privilege and why it's so difficult for uh, a lot of white people to understand the concept of white privilege. Yes, exactly. I think your, your question is spot on. So every I write in my book actually that every white South African in South Africa and I say past, future or present is a child of privilege, including myself. But because we have actually benefited for centuries on the back of black pain, and so when we speak about white privilege, it's illicit white privilege. It's gained off the destruction of the economic and cultural and social fortunes of of our so-called fellow black South Africans. So what we have today is an unequal partnership and I often wonder why we are encouraged to forge a relationship and a sense of harmony between black people and white people when the relationship between black people and white people is so unequal. Uh, that is because we've never addressed what I would call the ongoing pandemic of racism in South Africa. It's been left untreated. But the interesting thing is that white people do not believe they hold on privilege. They believe that they do well because they work hard and that everything is equal. Mandela in mm. 1994 spoke about an equitable society, but such a thing doesn't exist, which is why I've written, other people have also written, that this rainbow nation we're living in is a, is a myth. And in <coughs> fact, what we have in South Africa today is not a, the beauty of a rainbow, but the damage of a storm. And sadly, it is once again black South Africans, not white South Africans, who are undergoing the terrible damage of the storm that has yet to be uh, remedied. Yeah. Look, let's go back maybe to 1994, because I think racism, it's such a multi-layered conversation, right? So 1994... Um, our first democratic election, uh, Dr. Nelson Mandela comes out, becomes a president. Then overnight, we are a rainbow nation. Um, what happened to that concept? Why do you think we're here? Do you think the rainbow nation even exists? Absolutely not. It's, it's a total myth. And what happened in South Africa is that, you know, normally there's a storm and then there's a rainbow. And everything's fine. But in South Africa, there was a storm caused by colonialism and apartheid. And the most dreadful act in this country, which was land theft by white settlers, that was done brutally 
Women were killed, raped. Um, it was murder. Land was taken forcibly. So the storm of that, of apartheid, of vicious racist legislation was never treated. A rainbow cannot take that away. But what we're seeing in South Africa is an unusual concept. We're seeing a storm after the rainbows. And yeah. that's what we're facing right now. And it's inevitable. We shouldn't be surprised because we have never dealt with difficult questions. Yeah. White people were just actually given, I speak about the Rainbow Nation as uh, an extension of the license or the tender of white privilege. What, ha- what, ha- what have white people, including myself, ever done to be worthy citizens of the so-called Rainbow Nation? We have given up nothing. In fact, our privilege has continued way into the Rainbow Nation. So our yeah. fellow black South Africans live in deep poverty, not because of any making of their own, but because the system is, is filled with, with racism and exclusion and cultural dislocation. You know, and that's Kim, I'm the state of the nation. Yeah, I'm listening to you and. I am in slight fear because the things that you're saying are things that we're not accustomed to talking about. And I mean, here you are, a white woman. You talk about us celebrating a stillborn democracy. You talk about an optical illusion of a rainbow nation that as South Africans, we are holding on to, and white South Africans are holding on to the lion's share of land and wealth. You even talk about Julius Malema and Andile Mnitama being one of the greatest politicians. What has been the response from your peers as a political analyst, from other white people? And are you coping psychosocially? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's another, another interesting question. I think I'm going to have to be on the show more often. I love your questions. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the reality of that is that, um, I mean, I, I certainly under, I always refer to myself as the black sheep in the white community. And as much as I try to address this issue, with very important white people in this country, business leaders, academics. No one is interested in this conversation, which is why I'm really on any South African platform. In fact, most of the media has shut me out. I do more international interviews because what I'm introducing is a dialogue that people don't want to have. Black people and white people, we're comfortable in this illusion of that we're all fine. Yeah. We're happy in the, you, you know, I mean, the most absurd thing, we all stand up and we sing the national anthem, which contains the stem, which to me is the most ridiculous thing that black South Africans stand up and, 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 and sing, you know, that oppressive uh, stanza. So I, I, I say, and more controversially so, is that, you know, I'm less worried about white people because white people have shown that they've got no moral compass. Nowhere in the world has the oppressor ever given up power. So we shouldn't expect anything of white people. I mean, they're still benefiting. I'm still benefiting day in and day out from the system of racism. But what, what upsets me is that, and I think where the work needs to be done, is that black people must learn to expect nothing from white people. And they must build their own schools. They must build their own communities. They must invest in themselves. And and their fortunes should be made within the black community. So we still have black people shopping all the time at white shops, boosting white business. 
you know, there's so much power in black people to say enough is enough. We'll build our own communities. We'll support our own people. And therefore, the reliance on white people will become far less. But such is the system that in today's society, in most cases, it's still the white man who's the master. And, and most black uh, people, including our politicians, just simply bow down uh, at the knee of white supremacy, including our president, who seems We've... to be very, you know, I, I speak about him as somebody who's pushing white interests rather than the dignity of a black child. We've got Kim Heller on the line. Uh, she's got a book called No White Lies, Black Politics and White Power. Um, she's been called uh, that she hates being white. She's trying to be black. Uh, we're going to be, uh, I guess, asking her those questions when we come back, as well as a couple of your questions. She's also called our president, a media creation. She's going to explain all of that. It is the takeoff. Eshawe, we got you covered on 99.9 FM. Feel good music. So we've got um, Helen on the line, uh, the author of a book which makes a lot of people uncomfortable. No, no white lies. I mean, Kim. Why do I? Why do I? Why, why do I call Helen? Kim we've got Hala. Kim Hela on the line. <laughs> Not <laughs> no <Helen> white lies. <laughs> I don't know why I went there. Black politics and white power in South Africa. And we've got Anga who wants to ask a question. Good morning, Anga. You live on the Facebook show in the country. Morning, Bongani. How are you doing? Well done. Well, well done for being here, sir. Thank you, man. Uh, morning to everybody in the studio. Two million gang gang. This is what I'm keeping very short. Morning, um, I'm almost saying Helen now as well, but to the lady that just spoke now, um, the reason that I called, the last part that you said before they played the song, that as black people we need to have our own schools, we need to have our own malls, have our own things. That's what I've been preaching for the past six years of my life. And I'm actually in my mind, and probably next year or two years from now, going to start on a journey of actually doing that. Because I think, as what you said, that we're thinking that, you know, the oppressor at some point, they want to come to a point of saying, no, guys, you know, everything was wrong, so let's all okay. They won't do that. Anyone that has ever oppressed you, they want to hang on to their power. You know what I mean? Uh, people that let go of slavery didn't do it because they necessarily wanted to. It was because of certain laws and rules that was imposed upon them, like apartheid. One of the yeah. reasons it ended because of sanctions that was imposed on the country. You know, I, I'm sure if it was up to them, it was never going to let go. But what I'm saying is, however, I'm not saying that we should hate one another, we should still embrace one another, but I'm saying as a people, black people, we need to actually come up with our own institutions. So therefore, we do not have to face these things at, uh, at these schools and so forth and so forth. And having this mentality that when we send our kids to white schools, that's the only time our kids get quality education, which is also not true. Um, you know, my kids go to a private black school, which is, does very well than most of the schools that are, 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 are white within the, the same community. So all I want to say is I encourage that thought and I encourage that thing very much. And we need to pour yeah. in within our own communities, economically speaking. Anga, I just need to come in there before we go to news. There are not a lot of uh, black um, private schools. And a lot of times, black parents send their kids to these schools, not even for education, just for better resources. Because our own government hasn't built our own schools, Emma Lokshini, to fix them. So you want your kid to play a sport in a field that actually has grass. Do you know what I mean? So, I, But I, I definitely agree with you, but it's such a deep conversation. Thank you so much, Anga. Have a great day, man. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to take news, right? Um, and on her book, she says, she's called the current South African president 
and media creation. Um, we, and also, she's also got very strong views about our current government. Uh, we're still in conversation with Kim Heller, uh, who's got a book called No White Lies, Black Politics and White Power in South Africa. Um, Kim, you, you, you refer to the current president of the country as a media creation. Explain. Yeah, I think that's quite easy to explain, and it's a claim that I stand by, because white media and business have invested in him very heavily. And when you, when you see his reach on the ground, he's not very popular. I think there were a few instances in Soweto where a lot of his family lived, where crowds booed him, and that happened across the country. So his reception amongst ordinary black South Africans seems very low, especially compared to other people. So he's certainly not a man of the ground. He's not a man like even Julius Malema, who can go anywhere and is absolutely mobbed and loved by people. But we see with Phil Ramaphosa, he's, he's more comfortable with white people, it appears, and white business. Uh, I mean, if, if he was a man of the people, he would have gone to the widows of the miners shot down in Marikana, and he would have knelt down and cried and asked for forgiveness. He would have gone to Phoenix and uh, been sympathetic to the black families that lost their children just because they were black. They were not criminals, but they were mowed down anyway. But where do we find this man? We find him in the white enclaves of society, in the business corridors owned by white people, not in the communities where the most impoverished black people live. Therefore, that man is a man, a media creation. And he's not a true leader, and that's coming out every day. And it's because he doesn't exist as much as Rainbow Nation and the New Dawn. I think one of the editors this week in, on the sun, uh, Sunday papers, I think the City Press editor, described him as a non-existent president. And that is because he's a media creation. The media has so built Kim, up him up. Yes, sorry, yeah. I do talk too long. <laughs> yes, yes, no Kim. worries. <laughs> There's just a lot to say about this. White privilege, Kim, and I'm just listening to this answer that you just said, is very interesting. Um, and as a white person, I think it's still a form of privilege that you're even able to say everything that you've said since we've started. And if I were to say the same things that you've said, I'd probably be long fired. I'd probably be long cancelled. And here's the mind boggling and psychologically messed up thing. I'd probably be fired and cancelled by a fellow black person. What would you say about that? Yes, that's exactly right. And you know, when I released this book a year ago, I mean, it, it, it's actually been really popular and people have been I'm very interested. I've had lots of interviews, mostly internationally. But the sad thing is that I say nothing that a black person hasn't said before. And I feel quite embarrassed that I've done well. Here I am, a white, middle-aged woman speaking about issues. I have no right to speak about them. And I'm saying nothing, nothing that hasn't been said by black people. But you know what I, what I like about it? What, what I like about it is what it tells me is that white privilege and the white voice is still far more important than the black voice because you could say it, especially as a female, and people would mm. not take whatever you're saying seriously. But because I'm white, people will listen to me. And as you say, sadly, it's we black people who do so. And that is because we, we have a government that almost tells black people to forgive and love black, white people. 
what we need right now is actually the philosophy of eco, where the self-confidence of black people is uh, assumed once again. It's been broken down by the white system. And therefore, we ask questions like that. Why on earth are you interviewing a white woman when you could be, when there are thousands of black people who could be telling the story? It's completely correct. So, 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 the, the monster of white supremacy in the country that people are more keen to listen to me when I haven't actually had the personal experience of poverty and racism that you have. The, the, there's a part of there's a part in your book where where you said blacks understand politics and white people understand power. Explain that. <laughs> You're asking me the hardest questions, and you know I don't like mornings. <laughs> Let me try and answer that. Um, with some intelligence. Well, I, I, I did that. I said that deliberately. It's because black people are very excited about politics. They enter into the electoral politics, and now we have 46 political parties. You know, it's a disaster because what I think I say in my book as well is that black disunity is the teething gel of white supremacy. White people love black people to be divided. That's a brilliant strategy. So we, as, as long as black people are divided we will continue to rule this country because it takes a huge majority of people and divides them in a million ways. So now we even see black people turning on black people, uh, on so-called foreigners. It's terrible when actually the economic problems in this country are caused by white people and white industry. But white people uh, understand power, and you have, to, um, you have to respect that in some distorted and uh, sick way. We, white people hold on to power. It was by no accident the Rainbow Nation came into fruition without social justice. It was, a, it, I used to think that the ANC just negotiated badly, but I begin to believe now that it was deliberate. Whites have held on to power in 1955 with the so-called Freedom Charter. They wrote that document. They made sure that the oppressor, the land sea, was included in the future of South Africa. It, it, it legitimized land theft. White people know how to deal with power. They build their own schools. Yeah, They're not yeah, interested yeah. in being part of somebody else's schools. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so, yes, I think that's the difference. It's a sad difference. Black people, the, in terms of recognizing their power, if they took all their money away from white business, we would see a very different dynamic in this country. You've often been called that you hate being a white person do you hate being white? Because I've seen a lot of that being thrown at you, um, I guess, by other white people. Do you hate being white? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's shameful being white. And I do. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing to save about being white in this country. I think it's a shameful state. And when I see, I mean, even for myself, there's no exclusions. You know, uh, Biko spoke about all white people being the same. And people often say to me, thank you, Kim, you speaking and you helping Things, but I'm not really, because I'm still the oppressor. I still live in comfort. I still enjoy unearned uh, benefits every day. So what we need to do, I mean, whites are shameful beings in South Africa until we face the fact that we must make reparations, that stolen land must be given back, that the economy, the, whole, the white hold over the economy has to be completely shifted until we learn African languages and that mm. That that um, we don't assume we go into a hall and people will speak English. So actually, we control everything, and we're not interested in giving anything up. So, so yes, Kim, I do. Y- yeah, 
And I mean, you, you even call yourself a recovered um, freedom charterist, you know, which is quite <laughs> interesting. When was the shift? When did the shift happen for you? Because you haven't always had this thought, you know, and, and you've lived in white privilege and you grew up in that environment. When did the shift take place for you? Well, I, I did grow up in a very conservative household and politics was something um, my politics wasn't well appreciated. But as soon as the NC was, I had worked on, uh, uh, you know, in, in certain anti-apartheid structures before. But '94, I believed that the NC was the, the best thing to come. And I rushed out to get my membership card and became involved. I even was a junior person working on the, D, on the first campaign. I worked with Madiba, with Madiba, so I was very uh, in favor of the ANC. But what I've realized as I've grown older is that the, that the ANC is protecting white interests. And it took me a long time to realize that, and it's a very painful thing to realize. Because, and why I'm against charterism, is that it makes sure that the white oppressor and the black oppressed is, has equal rights to South Africa. But that's not the case. White people came in here and stole land. They stole the economy. So I don't believe they should be uh, equal partners. The, the time now is for um, social justice. So I, I'm a big advocate of social justice before reconciliation. And we, why I say I'm a, a recovering charterist, for as long as we carry on with this rainbow nation reconciliation nonsense, Black people are never going to be liberated. We will Kim, never see liberation. I need you to hold it. I need you to hold it there because there's a very important conversation that I want to have with you before we wrap, right? I'm going to read you uh, the, the comment and then we'll answer after we play a song. So this is what the comment says. Very racially dividing uh, topic. Cyril doesn't visit the farm murder victims. I'm white. I am not in power of anything. Just a normal working person. What's this lady on about? She's generalizing white people. We are not rich and powerful. And we're going to talk about that because some people, some white people say, guys, I'm not rich. I was born after 1994. I'm poor like yeah. you. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Here's some Queen Latifah. Hey, it's Queen Latifah, U-N-I-T-Y. Um, so Kim, here is a message that comes through. It starts off by saying, this topic sucks. Very racial, very racial dividing. Cyril doesn't visit the farm murder victims either. I'm white. I'm not in power of anything. Just a normal working person. What's this lady on about? She's generalizing white people that we are rich and powerful. Unearthed wealth, not cool. And then they wrap by saying they won't listen to the show again because I don't know whether the show is racist or whether you are racist. What, what, what do you have to say to that? White people who are saying, I don't have privilege. I'm not born rich. I don't have any money. Well, <laughs> that's exactly what I said at the beginning of the show is that not only are white, we, we're so far away from where we, where we need to be because not only are white people um, without moral compass that they would say, look at what we have done to our fellow black South Africans for generations, but they even deny that they are guilty of such, that they're guilty of privilege. And as I said at the very beginning, every single white person, no matter how rich or poor they are, are the children of privilege. They enjoy privilege every day, whether it's work, walking into a shop, and speaking English and assuming that the black person at the counter or serving them or wherever uh, would automatically revert into their language. It's about walking into a place and being treated better because they are white. It's, it's about being afforded different bank rates and having access 
to economic um, structures that, that fellow black South Africans aren't. So, I mean, I, I, I'm quite bored with that rhetoric of white people saying, I'm just ordinary, I haven't benefited from. It's nonsense. Every white South African, and not only now, but in the future, uh, white people will continue to benefit because, unfortunately, we have a government that is too timid to touch whiteness. So the system, which is filled with structural racism, will continue. How do we fix it, Kim? Like, so, so here's the thing. I want to live in a country where people can get along, our kids can be raised in a safe environment. How do we fix yeah. it? Can we fix it? The only way that it can be fixed is to completely re-engineer the social and economic structure of the country so that land is returned. In fact, every black person should be given land back. They should, it shouldn't be caught up with land return in this long 20, 30-year process. Land was stolen. Land must be returned. And the structure of the economy has to be completely transformed, not little bits of BEE but a fundamental transformation of the economy into black hands, where it belongs. And it's only, and language must change. I mean, the fact that we are speaking English and Afrikaans as our main language of businesses is nonsense. Stop speaking an African language and you'll exclude white people because they have been too arrogant to ever bother to learn any African languages. Those are the dynamics we have to change. That is what is going to humble white South Africans and make them think that maybe I have to change. And black people... Sorry, just in conclusion, black people need to be bolder about asserting what is theirs, because at the moment they're second-rate citizens in their own country. And to be honest, sometimes they behave like that. So that's what what I was trying to say earlier, is that we need the philosophy of Beaker, of black consciousness, to, to get... I always say that, that the black mind is occupied by whiteness. We need Beaker to get whites out of black, black minds. That is the answer. Kim, um, where do people find you on social media? Where do people get the book, etc., as we wrap? Because we need to quickly rush to the news now. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Well, my book should be at Exclusive Books and um, others, but uh, you, people can contact me on my Twitter handle, which is KimHeller3. And I can um, engage with your with your listeners, even the white ones who want to attack me. I'm happy to speak to them. <laughs> it's eight twenty nine. Thank you for your conversation, Kim. Have a great day. Pleasure. You too. Bye bye. Weekdays, six to nine a.m. with Bongani and Nala. Let's take off.